Welcome to City Reach Cumberland's weekly podcast. We hope this message blesses you. For more information about us, you can check us out on the web at cityreachcumberland.com. What a, what a miracle it is to, to see a man graduate. Um, you know, Jesus is our, our heart, but one of the things here at City Reach that makes our heart beat is our homes. This church actually started with the homes, and there's just so much love and attention that's poured into them as they walk through the homes. And it's, it's always so amazing. I, it warms my heart to see a guy graduate because I know what they've gone through. I know the work that they've put in. And I know the miracle that they become the day that they get to stand here and give their testimony. Let's give it up for him one more time. And just, just work. We love you, Hector. I, I, can't, I can't wait to see where God takes you from here. And what God begins to do with you as you allow him. So, still on the, the subject of first, uh, you know, for the first part of this year. Um, we've done it for two weeks. We missed a week of church due to the snow. But what we're going to talk about today is uh, the first recorded miracle of Jesus. Now, I use that term miracle because that's what we know it as. But... I, I hate to even say miracle because when you take your car to the auto mechanic and he fixes it, you don't claim it as a miracle. That's just what a mechanic does. And for Jesus, a miracle is just what he does. It's who he is. So this is just Jesus' everyday life of bringing this, what we call a miracle, and showing it to us. Where we're going to be going to is John 2, starting right in verse 1. Uh, going down through verse 12. And I want to I read through this and this, these passages in entirety and then go back and, and kind of pinpoint some things that, that God revealed to me and, and, and really pressed on my heart as I was reading this. So starting right, John 2, starting right in verse 1, says, On the third day there was a wedding in Kenya of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine. And when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Kenya of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capriam. I think that's how it's pronounced. He, his mother, his brother, and his disciples, and they did not stay there many days. So before we go into what God's laid on my heart, I'd like to just go ahead and pray that, that God really speaks here and touches your guys' hearts through this message that he's given me. Father God, I tell you that I love you. I thank you for these words that you've given us. I thank you for the, the house that you've given us to allow us to speak your word. 
And God, I pray right now that this be 100% of you and none of me. I ask that as the words of your spirit that are spoken here today, and I ask that the, the men and women that, that hear this message receive it from you, God. We just ask for your anointing over top of this message. We ask for the spirit to move inside of this building today. And we ask that you just continually and gracefully love us as you always have. In your name I pray. Amen. So, being that we are City Reach, and some of us have some pretty dark past, I want to I clear something up before we go into this. And that's the factor. I don't want any husbands going home today and telling your wife, well, Jesus made 130 gallons of wine. I think I should do that too, or that I can drink that much. Because I believe that that's completely against what God does. And we're shown that in Leviticus 10, 8 through 11, Numbers 21, 20, Proverbs 31, 4 through 7, Isaiah 28, 7. These are just four of the many verses that say don't be drunkards. Don't, don't indulge completely in this. So I just wanted to make that clear. I know Hector comes from a very dark past of alcoholism, so this is not your reasoning to go back because we speak of wine today. All right, keep walking out God's path. Uh, also, I don't have a slide for it, but I love verse 1 of this where it talks about the third day. Anywhere in God's word that it mentions three days, there's always something magnificent that follows it. And it, it, it always reminds me of Jesus inside of the tomb. So that's just a little side note. That's something, when you guys are reading, hopefully that stands out to you and it brings something more to life for you. Where we're really going to start, though, is verse 2. And this is the most important part of our Christian life. And it says in verse 2, Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. If you want Jesus to be part of your life, if you want Jesus at your wedding, if you want Jesus in your home, and if you want Jesus in your heart, you must invite him. Jesus is not an intrusive person. He will sit on the sideline and watch you go through everything until the day you say, I want you to be a part of this. Hector was allowed to be in a tent for five days living in misery until the day he said, I want you involved in this. And I think, if you don't get nothing else from my message today, please, please understand that part. If you want Jesus, the words must come out of your heart, out of your mouth, that says, Jesus, I invite you into my life. I invite you into the situation of my marriage. I invite you into my, my home to guide my children. I invite you. It's so important. But what we see with this story next in verse 3 is once Jesus is invited, they begin to do something. And it says in verse 3, And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. So once you have invited Jesus into a situation, once you have invited Jesus into your life, he wants you to commune with him. Now, on this particular situation, she is communicating with him a problem in life. That's not the only thing that Jesus wants. Once you've invited him in, 
He wants you to speak to him. He wants you to tell him the good. He wants you to tell the bad. He wants you to speak to him about the problems that you want him to take care of. I love Jesus' reply here on verse 4. He said, Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. This is a, a, a confusing thing for us to understand. As I was reading it, you know, if, if one of our children were to look at my, my wife, their mother today, and say, Woman, it's not going to turn out the same way this situation did. There may be a case with social services opened up. But we need to understand that in this time frame, when Jesus said woman, it's actually a very respectful term with inside of this culture. So please don't read this as today's culture and today's words. Understand that he was respecting her, but he was showing her something. He was showing her at this moment that their relationship was different. You know, when he was 12 years old and he, he was in the, the uh, not synagogue, the, and with the priest and at the, I can't think of the name, tabernacle, there we go. Um, you know, he respects her. When they come back for him, he respects her and follows as she was guiding him. She was in charge at that time. He's, he's allowing her to understand now that, Yes, we can commune, but I'm about my father's business now. I have a set of things that I have to take care of that I have to go on to do. But I love what Mary does here. Even though their relationship had changed at this point, she doesn't get aggravated with him, smack him upside the back of the head and say, no, you're going to do what I say. She does what we all need today. She has faith. And she knows that her son has a heart of love and is willing to help us in our problems. So what does his mother do? Verse 5, his mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. She had a faith that she turned and said, I know my son will take care of this. Whatever he says, do it. Now, Jesus could have told them to stand on their head as wine poured out of the ceiling. He could, have, he could have protruded this miracle in any way, shape, or form. But he wanted to use servants at this point in time, which is, is important because every one of us sitting here today, we are servants to God himself. And I love how Mary says it. Do it. It's important to know, just do it. That should be a Nike commercial for God. Just do it. Um, now I'm sidetracked. <laughs> so I love what Jesus does here. He doesn't, again, he doesn't just miraculous make this happen. And it's the same that Jesus will do in your life. He will use the things that are already supplied to you to make things happen in your life. So Jesus kind of looks around the room. And he sees, it says in verse 6, Now there were set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. I want you guys to get the image of these jugs. These are not these little fancy jugs that you guys have in your refrigerator today. These are massive 
stone pots. 20 gallons of liquid alone is very heavy. A container big enough made out of stone to hold that much is a very massive object. But also, I believe that Jesus right here knows and he's looking at that I can take something from what you guys know is the law, turn it upside down, and make it something good. He was already beginning to show us that I can change the law into something good. So he tells the disciples, verse 7, he says, Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water, and they filled them to the brim. Say that part again. And they filled them to the brim. This is where a lot of us end up lacking in what God is trying to do in our life. Because the stone pot is heavy, we don't want to put the work in. They didn't have a garden hose that they could bring from outside, put inside of the pots and fill them up. They had to pick these massive stone pots up, carry them to their well or their, their watering place, however it was that they was retrieving water at that time in that area. But it consisted of work. But they didn't just do it half-hearted. They didn't take the pots and fill them halfway. They maxed out. They did exactly what God asked them to do. They put the work in, and they wanted to make this miracle to the fullest that it could be. We need to remember that in our life. When God asks us to do something, don't half-heart it. Don't go, if, if God tells you, if God speaks to you right now and says, I need you to go talk to your cousin or your child, I need you to go talk to them. Don't call them on the phone. Get up out of your bed and go to them because there's something that Jesus wants to do with it. And if you don't do it to the fullest, then the fullest miracle of it cannot be extended. Now, they bring it back. The water pots are full. And Jesus then tells them, and he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. There's no questioning. There's, there's no why. There's no how do you want us to do that. It says this right here. And they took it. And they took it. I have, in my own life, multiple times when I'm asked to do something, my first thing I say is why. Or that shouldn't be done that way. And these servants know very much right now that if they carry water up to the master of the feast and hand him water, they very well can be put to death. Things can get really ugly really quick. But the servants have faith and belief. Now, it's unknown whether it has turned red or whatever, or if it still looks like water. I, I would, I, In my mind, I perceive that it still took the form of water to them because it goes on to talk about the, the water later on. But it's important to know that you have to not question. Just do it. And it says, when the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew. That's why I think it was still water. And the servants who drew the water knew. And they got to see something magnificent. The master of the feast called the bridegroom. 
And he said to him, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. In our life, the miracles that happen, we may not understand. The bridegroom himself was probably thinking right now, I don't know what you're talking about. I told my servants to bring the good stuff out first. We did set the good stuff out first. He tastes it and sees that it's good. He doesn't know how this happened. So I want that to point to you guys. Hector, someone else's prayers are what brought you to where you are today. It was a praying grandmother. It was a praying mother, family member, something that brought them. How many times have you had something take place in your life that you didn't understand? Someone else's prayers. It's very important that to understand that how much your prayers can affect someone else. And that's exactly, yes, it doesn't say that Mary prayed, but it, to me, anytime you take something to Jesus, it's a prayer. And that is exactly what Mary did here. She took the problem of somebody else to Jesus, and Jesus fixed the problem and magnified his glory. Mary didn't sit there and say, hey, they're out of wine. Can you refill my cup? No. I want you to take care of this situation. Why? Because she knew that the bride and groom, that if they couldn't supply abundantly at their wedding, there would be a cloud over top of their marriage forever. You're, you, you're actually a disgrace in this culture if you don't adequately supply to those that are there. So Jesus stopped that black cloud from the beginning of being over top of them because somebody else took the problem to Jesus. So if you have a child stuck in addiction, if, if you have a family member that's not living right, if you, if you have something going on of someone else inside of your life that you need a miracle to happen, don't be scared to take it to Jesus. Jesus isn't about you being greedy. Jesus says, love your neighbor. And everybody is your neighbor. Take the problems of your neighborhood to Jesus. Because it very well could be the miracle that is needed to display his glory and his power to make more disciples. The servants became to believe because they know they had just taken water to Jesus, or to the, to the master, and it was wine. Your prayers can very well save somebody else. But that's not, that's not the, the greatest point that we see here. I would imagine that after this took place and the, the bridegroom's confused and the, the, of where this wine came from, the wedding party's over, his servants are still there with him, and what do they begin to do? They begin to tell the master of the ceremony. They begin to tell the bridegroom, like, hey, this is what took place. Like, Jesus, this man Jesus told us to do this, and... We, we put water in it, and I don't know how it happened, but it saved your wedding. The story began to, to unfold and was told to them, and word began to, to spread of what had taken place. Somebody else's prayer brought a miracle for somebody else, and what does it do? It creates disciples, and they continue to spread his word. Your miracle may not be just for you. Why do we see that? If you jump up to John 4... 
verse 46, your miracle very well might serve the purpose of somebody else's belief, somebody else's miracle. John 4, 46, beginning there through 49, tells us, So Jesus came again to Kenya of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Because word had spread of a miracle of something as simple as water to wine, this man is now saying, I know that you can heal my son. Your miracle that is simple of Jesus letting you find $5 when you need a gas, you telling him, you telling about that could very well be the miracle that saves somebody's life. And we need to understand that, that we must talk about it. When Jesus turns water to wine in our life, we must be willing to talk about it because that is how disciples are made. So Jesus says to them, starting in verse 48, then Jesus said to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. The nobleman said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. So I would imagine he heard the whole story of how Jesus spoke to Mary. But he still said, you know what? Just do it. Just do it. I have faith and belief that you can. Yes, you're not giving me the response that I want right now but I, I have faith, I have trust that you can still do this. Jesus said to him, go your way where son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. This man is pleading with Jesus, come to my son to heal him. But because he knew the story of water to wine and that the servants just did what he said without questioning. I believe that is what it motivated this nobleman to say, you've spoken it, I'm good. I'm going to do exactly what you say. Because I know from before, when they did what you said, the miracle happened. So I'm trusting now that it's happening. I imagine as he walked away, there was an uncertainty there, which that's okay. But we see, moving into verse 51, and he was now going down. His servants met him, saying, your son lives. I can't, I can't imagine the, how this man acted at that point. The, the, the tears, the joy, the, the, the flood of emotions that took place in his life. But there's one thing he's worried about. Then he inquired of them the hour when he got better. And they said to him, yesterday... At the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at that same hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives, and he himself believed and his whole household. Automatically, even with the flood of emotions, the first thing he does is wants to reassure himself of what he knew had already happened, that it was Jesus who spoke the words and healed my son. And this is also what brought belief to his whole household. Somebody else's miracle, 
that they didn't pray for, that somebody else prayed for them, manifested. Word of that spread. And now another whole household begins to believe. Every one of us here today got to see a miracle. A miracle of a man set free from addiction and accomplished something that he never thought was possible in his life. I ask every one of you today to go out into this city and tell somebody about it. Because that is what's going to set the next addict free and the next addict free. And by the time you know it, if we keep spreading Jesus, we will not have a heroin problem plaguing Cumberland, Maryland because of the fact Jesus was put into the situation. Also, as you guys depart from here today, I want you to keep in your mind of how much Jesus does in your life that you're not even aware that he does. Every step you take, every time you, you drive your car from here to your home and you walk in your front door, Jesus saved you from a violent car crash. Jesus saved you in multiple ways. He performs miracles inside of your life every single day. I want you guys to, to rise with me. And I want to ask everybody to, to close your eyes. I truly believe that there's somebody here that has not extended an invitation to Jesus. Now, whether that's into your heart or whether that's you've given Jesus an invitation to a situation inside of your life, I don't know what it is, but I know that there's somebody here that needs an invitation to Jesus. If that's you today, I want you to just put your hand up. If you have a place in your life where you need to invite Jesus in, maybe you've never given Jesus that invitation into your heart, and you're allowing him to still sit on the sideline and watch everything that you're doing but not playing a part in it. If that's you, just put your hand up real quick. Put it right back down. I see you. I see you. I see you. It's important. As we take into this prayer, I want you guys to extend that invitation. I want you to just solely say the words to Jesus. I invite you into this situation. I invite you into my heart. I invite you into my life. Father God, we come to you with love and open arms. We thank you for all that you have done, are doing, and all that we know you will do. But God, we stand here with our invitation right now. Although we do not deserve for you to be in our presence or to handle our situations, you gracefully say yes to our invitation. God, we give you a heart of worship for the acceptance of our invitation. God, I want to tell you that we love you today. We stand here together, and I ask that you give us the encouragement today to speak of the miracle that you have done in our lives. God, if, if there's anybody here that has a struggling family member or friend, relative, God, 
I ask that you extend and hear their prayers as they plead for you to intervene on this situation. 